Hey guys, I'm Eric McLean. And I'm Kelly Gramlich. It's time to talk some ACC football. Let's go. Welcome in everyone to the Gramlich and McLean podcast brought to you by Duke's Mayo. It is episode 136. We have an absolutely awesome national, but also he has an ACC soft spot guest joining us on this episode, our Duke's Mayo guest. However, before we get to that, Mac, we have some very exciting news. I'm just going to dive right into it. Speaking of Dukes and the Duke's Mayo Bowl, which of course we'll be previewing extensively coming up, we have some awesome news for our listeners. We're giving away two club level, club level tickets for the Duke's Mayo Bowl and some awesome surprise gifts from our great friends at Duke's Mayo as well. It's super simple. All you have to do, Mac and I have both tweeted out this tweet. It is the the giveaway tweet. Go find it on our Twitter. If you like Mayo and you want to see great football, you like the tweet, you retweet the tweet, and you comment on the tweet and tag who you would bring with you if you won. So you like, you retweet, you comment, and you're entered to win. We will pick the winner, and we will announce the winner on Monday, December 20th. That's a perfect gift to start your Christmas week, and there are unlimited entries, so spread the word. Mac, it's happening. Come on, KG. Finally, we've been sitting on this news for a little bit here, and I am so excited to share it with you guys. I mean, club level? Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. We'll probably have some garlic habanero mayonnaise with that. I mean, what the heck heck else would you want? in a swag bag from Duke's Mayonnaise. So guys, do what Kelly just said. Go find our tweet. We'll have it pinned to both of our profiles there. All you have to do is like it. All you have to do is retweet it. And then tell us who the heck are you going to bring with you, and we will select the winner, and you might have a chance to get covered in mayonnaise. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. That might have been a false promise, but we can make it happen. KG, that is the little southern something that makes good things even better. And only Duke's has it. Duke's is delicious, not only on sandwiches, not only on salads, but even the secret ingredient when you're baking things, it's that low carb friendly addition that you can add to anything you've got. Trusted since 1917, thick and creamy texture, new flavors, same twang, KG. Mm. Over the past 100 years, Duke's has continued to cultivate and celebrate its commitment to family recipes and bold Southern flavors. In addition to the flagship mayo, which is still made according to Mrs. Eugenia Duke, we salute her, and her original recipe in Greenville, South Carolina, Duke's offers flavored mayonnaise, regionally inspired Duke Southern sauces, and mustards. You guys have to check them out. Go to dukesmayo.com and embrace the new flavors with that same twang and enter to win those tickets at Kelly Graham, like at Eric McLean, like, retweet, comment, boom, you could be at the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Come on, KG, club level, Battle of the Carolinas. It's going to be fun. You don't want to miss it, guys. Go check it out all over our social media. Mac, it's time to get to our Duke's Mayo guest. On today's episode, Danny Cannell is one of the leading national voices for the ACC. You can find him co-hosting Dusty and Danny on Sirius XM Channel 84, regular appearances on CBS Sports, and of course, the Cover 3 podcast. Guys, we had so much fun talking with the Florida State QB about all things ACC football. We also jump into a little college football as well. There's some big-time decisions that we just made on the Gramlick and Mac Lane podcast brought to you by our friends at Duke's Mayonnaise. Let's get right to it. 
Danny, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us and taking the time. Now, this is an ACC football podcast, so I'm just going to come out swinging with the first question. Mac loves this question that I wrote this first. You are one of the main national guys I follow on Twitter that is willing to call out the SEC bias, the little things, right, that we include recruiting rankings and FPI and just all these little things that skew towards the SEC. So, in your opinion, is there any way to fix this? Or is this just something we have to live with, this SEC bias? That's, that is a good one, Kelly. I like that. It's great being on with you guys. No, we don't have to live with it. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> And this is maybe all of us former athletes. Like, You don't sit here and take it. No, you want to look at the top dog, which is the SEC, and you want to topple them. I think there are challenges. And I, you know, it's funny because, well, I'm sure we'll get into this, like without Clemson's prominence, the ACC has taken a pretty big hit. And now it feels like we're in the same position that the Pac-12 has had. And so I haven't had to give this advice to, to the ACC in a while because we've had teams in that national championship hunt. But this is what I used to tell the Pac-12 because I think the Pac-12 is struggling. They've been, thankfully, the ACC, this is the first year we've really had this team out of the playoff race and you're not in the playoff conversation. Yeah, it's, it's a challenge. Don't get me wrong. There are years and years of tradition of families, you know, generations passing down traditions of tailgating and everything that goes into making SEC football different. I do think this. I think their football, it, this, this year, I think there's an argument, the Big Ten or the SEC, were they the best? Now, I may even lean towards the Big Ten because I thought they were deeper at the top. So I would lean maybe the Big Ten. But the SEC and Big Ten were a step ahead of everybody else. Where the SEC leads everybody the most is fandom. Like just nuts, fans that are crazy. And I'll like I'll I'll give the SEC a hard time, but where I won't, I'll I'll bow down and say we got to do better is the fans. <laughs> and I don't know how you replicate that other than it takes time and you can try and I think you try to do more things and get more you know ACC studio shows on set and promote and hype up the game so that fans are excited when a show comes to town and there's more ways we can do that but it's going to take time because if you go to and I've covered a lot of these just like you guys you cover you know a game in early November between um, you know, sort of the, the teams that are struggling, maybe, um, you know, a Georgia Tech versus Syracuse game, you know, it'd be okay, not gonna be that great. But if you go to a Mississippi State Kentucky game, same vibe, same records, they're gonna be packed like and there's gonna be people tailgating and they're gonna be loud. And it's just the ACC needs to step it up in that department. But to do that, I do think the conference itself can help promote give the, you know, give it more attention. And I also think ESPN could do a better job of promoting as well, because it does feel like the SEC network gets more of a prominent place on the studio shows. And, but it's better to see you guys getting more show there. And I've seen EJ on sports center set, but everybody can do a better job from the ACC promoting the conference itself. Danny, I'm with you, man. I think when you look at, you know, just the, the, breakdown of these schools and then the fact that you know I used to roll my eyes at the fact that that they would say it just means more but it does it truly does when you look at these fans when you look at it's a way of life and it's the only thing in life and and when you look at the ACC there's Miami there's you know all these massive cities Boston and and just really small private schools really small public schools that 
at the end of the day, the, the fandom, I'm with you. You can't argue. You can't go against. There's nothing you can really say about it. But the product on the field is where I think it should really matter. And, and that's where we've seen that gap close from different conferences, especially in the ACC with, with quarterback play this year, man, was, was fantastic. And, you know, just seeing guys figure it out and, and seeing teams, you know, go and, and get it done. Now, that has to equate to bowl season. We have to see guys take care of business when they do get the opportunity to play outside of the conference. And kind of in that same breath, we've seen a lot of stuff about expansion. We've seen a lot of things about an 18 playoff, a 12 team playoff, six, whatever it is. I think eight is your magic number. Um, I'm anywhere in expansion. I, I like eight or 12. I think we need to maybe take some games away if we do get to 12. But how would you fix the CFP right now? I've always been a proponent of expansion, whether it was going back to the BCS and we had two, I was like, give us more, give us more. And then four came out. And I remember my reaction to the college football playoff. I'm like, this will be better, but I still think we need more. I was always an eight team guy until I heard the 12 team proposal that the playoff, the college football playoff actually came up with. And they hired a consulting firm, which us three could have done probably the same thing, but I will give them some credit <laughs> I will give them some credit because I hadn't thought about 12 teams and they had heard proposals. I think it was all the way up to 32 teams and going back to two and just doing different ideas. I liked the 12 team proposal that they had put forward. There's a couple problems. Like, I don't know if the perfect solution, the reason I gave eight is because I was thinking within the framework of the committee and just trying to get the simplest thing forward. Like, let's just move this a little bit along and kick the can down the road a little bit more. And then it was always five power five conference champs and three wild cards that the committee could select. I liked the 12 team better than the eight team I had done. I didn't think they'd go that far. And if they're willing to go that far, I do think it protects against a few different things because what's been the biggest criticism, one of the biggest criticisms have been, oh, it'll dilute the regular season and you know nothing matters towards the end and teams will rest their starters in conference championship games. Well, if you dangle the carrot out of there, a first round buy, which the first four teams, the first top four seeds would get, coaches aren't going to lay it. They're not going to rest their start. They want to buy. If you dangle out there, the first, you know, the higher seeded games and those first round of playoff games get a home game on campus, then yeah, they're not resting starters. They're not going to, they want that home field experience. So I love some of the things they put in there with the buys, with the home, you know, games playing on campuses. I love those. There's one problem with our current setup and what I don't think goes away, and I don't know how to, how to solve this problem without doing away with conference championship games, is I hate the optics of losing what is supposed to be a postseason game. Like the SEC championship game just took place, and we saw Alabama-Georgia great game, and Georgia lost. And that they still advance. Like, I don't know about you guys, ever since I was, you know, this, this tall and was two or three years old, when it was the playoffs or the championships or postseason play, it, what do we say? If you win, you advance. If you lose, you go home. But somehow in this wacky college football world, you can lose a championship game and still advance. And that'll still happen in the 12-team playoff. Right. I wish there was a way we could solve it. I don't know what it is. Without and maybe make the conference championship games part of the playoff, right? But then you lose two teams from the SEC or two teams from the ACC, which we got last year when Notre Dame and Clemson both advanced. Notre Dame was in last year full time. 
So I don't know what the solution is. Like, and I'm, I'm really just flummoxed. I'm trying to think of stuff, the way to do it. But I like, why, why are we the only sport that can't figure it out? Yeah. I mean, I mean it's, get it's, that consulting firm to figure it out. That's, right. That's right. Hire those guys from New York. And I mean, it's, it's crazy that just, as you said, you get absolutely shellacked in the biggest, best game you've played all year. And it doesn't matter. You're, you're still in, you're, you're still in the playoff. Who, who would you have put in, I guess, over Georgia, if, if you had the power to, to do it this year, or, I mean, do you think at the end of the day, man, that they are, they're one of the best four teams. So I was pretty vocal on Twitter. I don't know about vocal. My troll was out. Like I have a, I, I have, think you were vocal. I was following. Yeah. But you know how Beyonce, you know how Beyonce like turns into this other person when she performs, <laughs> yeah. she talks about it. I turn into a different person on Twitter. It can be very annoying. <laughs> it has probably cost me jobs in the past, but basically I like to talk trash kind of like, like a player, like in the locker room, you're constantly like poking guys and talking trash. It's all meant in fun. But the thing that did bother me is that it was such an automatic that mm-hmm. Georgia was in no right. matter what. Right, right. No one even brought up, well, wait a second. If resumes are supposed to matter and we're supposed to talk about, you know, what are your signature wins? And you went back and looked at Georgia's schedule. Yes, they were dominant. But who was what was their biggest win? And it, ironically, if you go back, it was probably Clemson, yep. which who, everyone who trashed off. all year long. It's right. so funny, man. It's so, so funny. But like they needed the ACC to be their signature win. That's why That's I don't right. think they wanted to give That's us credit. Right. <laughs> they needed that. But so then as I'm putting these thoughts out there, like, hey, who did Georgia beat? Because no one else was asking this question. And you're like, man, it wasn't that impressive. And this defense, which I had been not critical But I had pointed out all season long, Georgia's defense is historic. They were doing unbelievable things. They were, you know, head and shoulders above everybody else. But tell me the great offense that they slowed down or great quarterback that they slowed down. And so I'm looking back and I'm like, all right, who was the best quarterback? And, you know, statistically, you know, it was probably Bo Nix who averaged just a little up high, about 217 yards passing per game. Okay, then who else? Hendon Hooker was pretty good at Tennessee. That might have been the next guy. Like, these are not even top 50 quarterbacks statistically. Now, you can make an argument. Hendon Hooker, I think he's going to improve big for Tennessee next year. He's pretty good. But they didn't have to go against a Brennan Armstrong, a Kenny Pickett, a Devin Leary, you know, uh, a Phil Jakovic. I mean, you could go down a Tyler Van Dyke at Miami who burst on the scene. These offenses were tough to stop. But then what happens and what damages the ACC is, oh, they don't play defense. They can't, you know, no one plays defense. What are these defenses? Anybody could do this against these defenses. No. How about these offenses and these quarterbacks are probably the best group in the entire country. Like, why doesn't that ever get discussed? And it did bother me. So as I'm I'm tweeting out these things, trolling Georgia, the only problem with my argument is exactly the question you asked, Eric, like, who do you put in? Right. And that really was not a great candidate. I didn't, I'd switched my mind on Notre Dame because going into the final couple weeks, I'm like, I don't want them in. They cannot sit at home and watch conference championship Saturday and advance. But then when Brian Kelly left them and I thought about how that hosed the players, I was like, man, I kind of want them in. Like I want them to get a shot. But then again, you go look at their resume and there weren't many signature wins on their list either. So there really wasn't a great candidate for, you know, okay, if it's not Georgia, who's going to be. So, so if, if Notre Dame's in the ACC, they beat Pitt, they're in the playoff, right? 
No yes. question. Yes. And Let's send him a contract. Let's always, get it done. Let's get it done. Exactly. <laughs> and I'd see, you know, Golick Jr., come on, and, and Golick Sr., both of them. I'm like, and Brady Quinn, all my Notre Dame guys. I'm like, will you guys just suck it up and join? And then <laughs> they, they like, get this golden domer. We're better than you, and we can mm-hmm. do things differently. They love that. But it was a great example. They could have been in the playoff uh, had they been in, in, in one loss ACC champ. They would have been in, and they decided to do their own thing, and they got left out. So and there, that was a risk they take. I just I wish they would join full-time. It makes sense for sure on the ACC side. We're already there in this pseudo relationship where every other mm-hmm. sport is there. <laughs> right. Just come join us, man. Just get in the ACC. Let's build everybody out. And I do think it would help Notre Dame too, but it definitely helps the conference, I think, more. Right. And you're talking about the the passion of the fan bases. Notre Dame is is an incredible one to add. And I, I hate it for the players because I feel like in general, your overall administration is not putting these guys in the best position to win a national championship because yeah. they don't get to play on Saturday. Um, okay. Speaking of <laughs> signature wins, you could argue one of Notre Dame's signature wins, weirdly enough, was Florida State. We all remember that game. Let's talk about your Knowles, Danny. And I, I saw you tweet a few times about this and Mac and I were talking about it too. The progress is obvious. If you beat Jacksonville State, you're in a bowl. That is a, an odd sentence, but it's true. Um, do you think that this program is headed in the right direction? I do. Um, and I've tried to you know, keep Florida State fans, keep the positivity and the energy that we saw that Mike Norvell brought in there. Even after last season, this offseason, before this year, there was a lot of enthusiasm. Now, at the, at the even going into the season, I was telling Florida State fans, I know we're all excited. Let's just let's tone it, let's keep it realistic. Because you know, <laughs> Vegas had Florida State's win total five and a half. It was I think really it was five low. and a half. It, it was, was five, five and, and a half. So I always because I was excited, but then I'm like, Vegas usually has a pretty good beat on things. Right. And I'm like, uh-oh. And then before the season, I went to Coach Bowden's memorial service and Coach Norvell said, hey, all the former players can come watch a scrimmage. And so I go watch their final scrimmage, which is a pretty big one. Like, you're supposed to see, like, the best talent. And I was sitting there with Peter Wark, who was one of the best receivers in the history of the program, who was a freshman when I was there. And he comes up to me, and he goes, and we kind of looked at each other. And he, he said at first, so I'll blame him. He's like, where are all the dudes? He's, mm. like, where, he's like, where's our studs? Yeah. You know, guys that just – because if you go watch Georgia – Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, teams that are always in the top five, you go watch a practice and you're going to be like, that's a first-round talent. That's an NFL guy. Like, you're going to see an Aiden Hutchinson. You're going to see a Brian Brzee. You're going to see somebody who just, oh, we're watching that scrimmage, and there's some nice players, but just there wasn't anybody that just jumped off off the field. And so after that game, I was even more like, okay, maybe Vegas is on to something. And, you know, it the roster needs to be improved. There just weren't that many difference makers uh, in Tallahassee, and I, there weren't going into the season. Now, I did think Mike Norvell did a spectacular job in bringing, going to the transfer portal because it's one thing to try to get those guys and recruiting classes matter, but you want quick turnaround. You need guys with experience. And bringing in Jermaine Johnson from Georgia, Keir Thomas from the SEC as well, like those in those positions on the defensive side of the ball, they emerged as dudes, and Jermaine Johnson was a dude they need to get a lot more of those. And I think they're coming. The other thing too, Kelly, is that I, I don't want to, this is going to sound like a homer. If that Notre Dame game, if they, if they find a way to win that yep. game, 
this is a program that needed to learn how to win. They needed confidence. Again, they kind of felt sorry for themselves a little bit and lost to Jacksonville State, and then it snowballed mm-hmm. like Eve. But if they had won that Notre Dame game, I keep thinking about what could the upside been? What could have the potential been, even with this roster? So that, to me, tells you that Mike Norvell is developing the talent. He's getting great fight. And that, to me, was the – this is why I'm so excited after a 5-7 and seven season. You start 0-4, a lot of programs that have had history and success like Florida State, uh, throwing the towel. Even have the Michigan last year in a COVID year. They only had two wins. It's just a tendency when you think you're going to compete for a championship or an ACC title or have nine, ten wins, and it starts off that bad, bickering, moaning, throwing yeah. the towel. They turned it around, and they were able to salvage a season, and that was because of the effort, and that was because of the guy's belief in Mike Norvell. So that, to me, was a huge positive sign for the Seminoles and the, for, the, for the future in, in the development of Jordan Travis and like seeing a lot of what yep. transpired yep. has me excited for the future. Now, I know Florida State fans, you know, they want to see success now and it kind of tempers your expectations. But I do think this is a program that next year you should be a pretty uh, a significant improvement in the win-loss column. Where, and then, then you can start capitalizing on that and really even getting better recruits in. I completely agree with you, man. I think exactly what you said, the 0-4 start, and then to win five of your last seven is massive. Uh, I mean, we saw turnaround. We saw buy-in. We saw belief. Guys coming together. I totally agree with you there. And and think that this recruiting class that they have coming in, on top of what they still need to do in the transfer portal, things are looking brighter for Florida State there. Now, now, talk talk me off the ledge here, because all I've been hearing about is how my Clemson Tigers are done and the dynasty is over. And yet they're about to win 10 wins for 11 straight years. Mac, you're just in the top uh, checking off Iowa State as a dub there, huh? I'm, I'm checking it off. Um, <laughs> when, when you look at all of this, Danny, it, it's crazy that this is the down year that everyone just says it's over. Give me your thoughts on Clemson. I mean, you might be in that boat. I don't know. Give me your thoughts on Clemson and moving forward, forward with athletic director gone, both coordinators gone. What the heck is Dabo Sweeney going to do? All right, I'll premise this with kind of the thoughts because the last few years, I think the conversation about college football has been how do you break up the monopoly of Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma? Like those were the four teams. How do you break it up? And I never predicted anything to happen, but I said, all right, at any of these schools, I think there's a couple things that you would start to see. Okay, and then all of a sudden, like if you see a fall from grace or a fall for a dynasty change, like if you went back historically, you could say, okay, this is where it started. A couple of things that I gave before was you lose, you lose coordinators and you miss on the replacements. You miss on a run of quarterbacks. Like that to me was what happened to Mac Brown at the end of the Texas Longhorn dynasty. And I love Mac and he's awesome. We've talked about this. You know, he had a couple five stars coming in there. He just did, that didn't live up to the hype. And then it was kind of, then it started to fall. Coach Bowden, it happened with at Florida State. There was Chris Ricks was a four-year starter and just kind of never really was able to take it to that next level. And they were okay. But then, and then it kind of just set the program back a little bit. And Jeff Bowden was his son, was the offensive coordinator, and that was a miss. And then it kind of it kind of went down. Now Jimbo brought it back up, but that was kind of the start. Then Jimbo Fisher left. And that was a big reason why Florida State kind of uh sputtered and stalled out. So of those things, those challenges. We still know there's absolutely turnover uh, at the coordinator positions. So this to me is one of the the big question marks is, well, what does Dabo do? DJ Uyungale, who they were really kind of stuck with all season, wasn't 
as advertised. And that's not a knock. I mean, to me, it's totally normal what DJ did. He's a young quarterback who hadn't played much. It is a process. The guys like Bryce Young or other true freshmen that are redshirt freshmen that come in and blow it out of the park, those are anomalies. Like the normal process is you start, you sputter, and then you get better. So it's not to say that DJ's a bust, but he's got to get better. The offense has to get better. I'm not predicting the end because I, th- I believe in one thing. That's the culture of Clemson that Dabo has built. He's built a culture of family, of accountability, uh, you know, of playing for the program, being buying into the team over individual. And I think those are all really positive things. So I'm a believer in that. But I am curious to see what direction he goes in, you know, what, what happens with these coordinator hires and developing DJ. So I get the question marks. And I get the the concern, but I'm not going to be one that's that's saying right now, oh, this is the end. Uh, I'm still a believe. And guess what else is still there? A lot of talent. There's still a lot of four and five star talent, and these recruiting classes aren't changing. They're still going to crush it on the recruiting trail. So I don't think Clemson's going anywhere anytime yet. But if I'm another school in the ACC, you're thinking vulnerable. This is our opportunity. <laughs> that's right. So that's what you're thinking. I think it's a vulnerability that they haven't been in. But I also think too, and I, Eric, I'm sure you speak to this as well. I think you see it as an opportunity. Let's freshen up the offense. You know, the defense has still been strong, but let's let's see what else we got out there. And I don't know if you go in-house or not, but let's freshen things up a little bit. Let's get some new set of eyeballs in here. And then that might be a scary thought for everybody in the ACC. And as I said to Mac on one of our other recent podcasts, we know that Dabo Sweeney absolutely loves being the underdog. So I think that's going to be a little refreshing for him. All right, yeah. last one for you, Danny. We know you're a busy guy. You got a lot going on. Let's talk about Kenny Pickett. I can't believe we've we've gone this whole episode without talking about Kenny and his improvement as a former quarterback. And we've asked Kenny, I feel like at times he's a little too humble about it. What have you seen that has allowed him to make this jump? Um, he's been awesome. First of all, I do it bothers me that he finished third. I thought he was clear cut second. Yeah. I agree. That's how I'm for it. Like if we tr- and I've I have a vote. Do you guys have votes, Heisman votes? I do. That I had yeah. him second as well. So I had him second kind of bothers me that I didn't give more consideration for first too. Like I was trying to promote Kenny Pickett for Heisman because I am more impressed with the guy that does something at a program that really hasn't been done in 40 years. Not only statistically, because statistics are a part of the equation, but elevating a program to a, you know, an 11 win season, like, you know, unbelievably successful an ACC championship that is not in that stratosphere. He's not playing with a bunch of four and five stars. Right. And this isn't to take away from Bryce Young, but to me, and maybe Bryce Young does that at Clemson or at Pitt, maybe. But I think I think Kenny Pickett, if he went to Alabama, I think he'd have very similar success. Maybe even, you know, because we've seen kind of this model and credit to Nick Saban where we saw Jalen Hurts do it. We saw Tua do it. We saw Mac Jones do it. And then it's Bryce Young. It is easier it's not easy it's easier to play quarterback when everybody around the field is four and five stars and you have an edge every single time you know what's a lot harder when your talent is about equal to everybody else's and you have to make plays and not only that but every possession there's a ton of stress because you need to score points like you got you have to go out there and score you don't have the luxury of a top 10 defense that's going to stop everybody even though Pitt's defense was awesome they led the country in sacks I know they're good but there was a different stress level every possession. you got to put it on your shoulders. And then you look at the stats, and they were pretty comparable between uh, Bryce Young and Kenny Pickett. So I would have – like it bothered me that I didn't even give him more consideration. But I do think 
finishing strong, doing against that defense, like that was pretty impressive. But Kenny Pickett has been awesome. I think it's a story of perseverance, of a story of, hey, sticking around where you started, not trying to go chase it somewhere else. And I saw you just saw an elevation, a guy who fine-tuned his skill set. And really, a lot of it was confidence. And he put in the work, and then it translated on the field. And the more it kept building, you saw his confidence growing and his receivers and Jordan Addison, it, their confidence in him was growing as well. And to me, it was a, a perfect example of the culmination of confidence, leadership, and skill set coming together at the perfect time. And that's why I think, like, I hope the Steelers draft him. Like, I really do. And maybe, I don't know if it's, maybe it's that first, I think they have the 16th pick. Like, I don't yeah. know where he goes, but he, to me, feels like a perfect heir apparent to Ben Roethlisberger for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I think they, they'd be crazy to pass up on him. And I do think he's, he's the best quarterback, the most NFL-ready quarterback in this class. That's why I was going to ask you, does he, does he get there? Does he fall that far? Do you think he's the first guy, second guy? Where do you I do, predict I he goes? I don't love this class in general. Like, and I do think there's like Kenny Pickett. I think he'll be good. I don't know. I don't know how he's going to, if he's going to blow away people at the combine, but what I hope scouts do is they look at what Joe Burrow did. Like Joe Burrow was going to be a fifth or sixth round pick before he had his big year at LSU. Right. I think Kenny Pickett made himself a boatload of money. But I'll be teams always overdraft. So if you set the over under at 15, I'd probably say he'd go in the top 15 yeah. because of that. Teams get yeah. desperate for quarterbacks. So I think he will. I think he absolutely will. No question about it. Danny, this was a lot of fun, man. Thank you for your insight. Thank you for your time. Uh, we're going to have to have you back on here, man, because there's just so much to cover with the ACC. Really appreciate you today. I love it. Matt Kelly, you guys, thanks for having me on. We'll definitely do it again. Wow, KG. I mean, we need to have like a weekly appearance yes. by our friend Danny Cannell. I mean, he just, he brings the heat, but it's just also at a very, I don't know, educated, like right. analytical. It's not just a lot of nonsense thrown at the wall. Like he clearly is passionate about the conference, but it, it's backed up with fact and understanding. And man, that was, that was a lot of fun talking with our buddy Danny Cannell there. I loved what he said. Two things really stood out to me. He talked about Florida State. And he, he is a guy who roots for Florida State, but he's not going to sugarcoat it. He's telling you like it is, and he thinks there will be improvement next year. And then he said what we always say, Notre Dame, just join the league, guys. You'd be probably in the playoff right now. So Danny is on the same page as us in a lot of those topics, Mac. There's no question about it. He absolutely is. Guys, thank you so much for listening, but we have to tell you about our producer, Richmond Weaver, and his new podcast, automatic automatic it is a fantastic podcast jumps into not only men's basketball but also women's basketball all season long cannot wait to keep hearing these episodes rich does a fantastic job we also know which basketball is the better version and it's women's college hoops if you're not watching if you're not tuned in you're missing out hey listen listen kg there there are six acc women's teams ranked Right now. You better tell him. Come on. You know what you're talking about, man. You know what you're talking about. (laughs) Guys, that's it. Thank you for listening. Another great episode of Gramlick and Mac Lane brought to you by our great friends over at Duke's Mayo. If you haven't already, go over to iTunes, follow our podcast, drop us a little five-star rating, or write us a review. We would greatly appreciate that. But until next time, we'll see y'all.